Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for episode 364 from 30s through 50s Women's Hormone Support Part 2. So if you heard a couple weeks back, we did a part one and we received so many amazing questions from all of you listeners that we decided to break it down in to two episodes. So in today's episode, we'll cover hot flashes, worsening PMS, pregnancy in your late thirties to early forties, the new postpartum depression medication, and so much more. Yes, if you missed part one, that was back in episode 360, so be sure to check that out. In that episode, we talked about PCOS, we talked about testing hormones and how to assess your level or status of fertility, we talked about optimizing egg health, and so much more. So go on over to check out episode 360 for Women's Hormones part uh, part one with ages 30s through 50s and onward. Uh, Today's episode is actually sponsored by our Women's Hormone Bundle. This includes three supplements from the Naturally Nourished line. We have our Relax and Regulate, which we talked about a lot in episode 360. This is our combination of myo-inositol and magnesium bisglycinate. So I think that magnesium bisglycinate is really a now well-sung hero in the functional medicine and nutritional space. Magnesium bisglycinate is the form of magnesium that can actually work on our neuromuscular system, helping us to disengage tension or stress anywhere from even the jaw to the neck. Any time of high stress or even trauma, this is a really important formula because that magnesium bisglycinate crosses the blood-brain barrier and can block the pituitary for making ACTH or stimulating cortisol release. So this can help with quality of sleep and then secondarily can help with hormone support by mitigating excessive cortisol. But really the star of the show of our Relax and Regulate for hormone support is this myo-inositol. Myo-inositol in the amount four grams per day, which is one single scoop of our Relax and Regulate, has been shown by 70% increase influence of ovulation and those that were prior anovulatory or not ovulating. It has a huge role on overall ovarian health and sex hormone balance, and it's an anxiolytic or anxiety-reducing compound that can help with sleep and relaxation. So Relax and Regulate is a fantastic foundation for all of you listeners at any stage of your hormone balance. It's also very appropriate for men to use, but this bundle for women's health includes our Relax and Regulate, as well as our Brocco Detox and our B-Complex. So B-Complex is especially important for anyone that had been on hormonal birth control. We often see a significant deficiency of nutrients such as folate, B12, thiamine, riboflavin, biotin. You get the whole suite of bioactive 
vitamins in this complex with also whole food forms. So we use a quadrifolic methylated form of folate that also incorporates organic spinach in the blend. Uh, our B complex is something that you could take daily, midday, or at rise to give you a good amount of energy support, aids in metabolism, and also a lot of those B vitamins play a role as cofactors for our neurotransmitters. So definitely big support for mental health as well. And then finally, in this mix of our women's hormone bundle, we see our Brocco Detox. This is a fantastic liver supporting formula that will aid in detoxification and regulation of estrogen. So if we're dealing with estrogen dominance or PCOS, or we have stagnation in the liver and are dealing with lymph backup or maybe some elevated liver enzymes, or we have any familial history of cancer risk, Brocco Detox is a really fantastic antioxidant blend with that powerful sulforaphane compound, all 3 carbonyls, which aid in that estrogen detoxification, and so much more. The Women's Hormone Bundle supports reduction of estrogen dominance, hot flashes and menopause symptoms, recovery from hormonal birth control, support for fertility, support for PCOS, hormonal balance and detox, and energy and mood support. So we hope that you will check out the Women's Hormone Balance as a great foundation of three powerful formulas that come together to support women's health. Yes. And as a reminder, all of our bundles are intended as kind of an entry point into our supplement line. Um, and they all have a specific focus. So you can find bundles over at AllieMillerRD.com under bundles and all bundles are going to come with a built-in discount of 12%. So really great way if you haven't used any of our supplements before, or maybe you're looking to just add on beyond your basic multivitamin and your fish oil and really delve into a specific focus, there is a bundle there for you. So go on over and check it out. Awesome. So thanks for bearing with us for our supported <laughs> supplement ad. Uh, we thought that this would be a great fit instead of having an outside sponsor for today because it just really houses, like I said, a lot of a foundation for women's hormone health. I also want to just quickly announce uh, as far as programs and such, we are full swing ahead into our 12-week food as medicine ketosis program. And so we're not allowing you to join this round any further, but stay tuned. We will be doing a January January program. And as always, we love to kind of blow that out with our uh, Black Friday deals. So make sure that you are receiving the Naturally Nourished newsletter. When you're at AllieMillerRD.com, scroll all the way down to the bottom. So when you subscribe to our Naturally Nourished newsletter, that helps you to stay up to date on each weekly podcast release. Every other week, we share our YouTube release on there. We share recipes. We share flash sales and other special savings just for our newsletter subscribers. When you sign up for our free email newsletter, you also will get a two-week food as medicine meal plan and recipes. So great value to do that for free. Take a pause and do that. And then final announcement, we have openings in the Naturally Nourished Clinic. So as we're back full steam ahead in the fall, this is the time for you to start investing in your wellness and maybe take more of an individualized approach where you need to work one-on-one 
one-on-one with a functional medicine practitioner such as Becky or myself. You can also check that out under our clinic tab at AllieMillerRD.com. That will tell you more about our background, how to work with us, and even include a link to purchase an initial consult or a bundle of a program to get started and schedule your first appointment online. It looks like right now we have openings uh, sometimes within four to six weeks and depending on season might be upwards of an eight week, but this is the time to jump in and get started before the new year craze. All right, let's get into questions for today. Um, So first one, pretty straightforward, hot flashes help. Yes. So hot flashes have not experienced them myself, but have heard some horrific tales of how disruptive they can be and have seen some really good clinical outcomes. So the areas that we look into are inflammation, insulin resistance, and estrogen decline. So when we look at inflammation, we want to think of, of course, that concept of inflamed means on fire. And one of the cardinal markers of inflammation is going to be heat. And when we have the body in a more pro-inflammatory state, if we see especially that C-reactive protein is elevated, bringing in some anti-inflammatory tools like omega-3s, I think of that for sure. Omega-3s have been shown in literature to actually reduce night sweats. And omega-3s to note that EPA, DHA, extra would be the capsule formula in our line. Um, Getting at least two grams a day of combination EPA and DHA would be the goal. This will also support liver health, which we know is where many of our hormones are manufactured and also will reduce triglycerides. So that's, you know, the number one way to bring down hypertriglyceridemia. Uh, So omega-3s could be a really good baseline and making sure that the individual is getting wild caught fish two to three times a week. We might also want to layer in our super turmeric. Super turmeric would be a really powerful encapsulated gel form of curcuminoid, uh, bioactive turmeric in its three different forms combined with turmeric oil. And we have seen in a triple blind randomized controlled trial, which is really, really gold standard. This was on hot flashes and anxiety in postmenopausal women. They saw that the oral intake of curcumin significantly reduced hot flashes in postmenopausal women. So what's lovely about any functional medicine intervention is that it could also demonstrate other beneficial outcomes. So maybe the hot flashes resolve with the super turmeric and you don't have creaky joints or your knee pain goes away as well, or some other inflammatory symptom starts to dissipate, which is a lovely synergy response. Totally. Um, and then let's go back to the insulin sensitivity. I think this is really interesting because we're prone to just blame estrogen and be like, yes. it's, it's because of the estrogen decline. And, and I noticed that was like one of the last things that you yeah. said, um, which obviously we'll address, but let's talk insulin and how going keto can help. Yes. So, you know, one of the best ways to bring down insulin resistance is to reduce your carbohydrate intake. It's not one of the best ways. It is the best way. Uh, And so by reducing your carbs, you're going to bring down your blood sugar and then bring down that demand for insulin, which will over time reduce your basal insulin level or your baseline insulin fasting insulin level. And this is really important because insulin itself is a pro-inflammatory hormone. And as we get more insulin sensitivity, 
This also can help in turn with the hot flashes. So a real food keto approach, Dr. Anna Kabeca swears by a keto green, which is very similar to our Mediterranean food as medicine ketosis approach, where you're still getting a lot of phyto compounds. You're getting a lot of alkalizing foods with your two to three cups of leafy greens per day, using maybe lemon olive oil as a shooter to get going for your day. Um, but bringing that insulin down with a combination of fasting, as well as a real food keto approach would be the best approach to ensure that we're mitigating the metabolic imbalance that that causes while also supporting the hot flash symptom of hormonal transition. Uh, if you're not quite ready to jump into keto, at least being mindful of your total carb consumption and reducing carbs and ensuring when you have carbs that there's no naked carbs. You're pairing carbohydrate choices with proteins or quality fats. And then supplement-wise for insulin sensitivity, I would lean into our Relax and Regulate because that myo-inositol is key for both hormone regulation and insulin sensitivity. Um, and then that mag-bisglycinate, beyond helping on the stress level in the cortisol, which cortisol would drive more hot flashes, uh, the mag-bisglycinate in the Relax and Regulate also supports vasodilation. And so by dilating the blood vessels, that'll help our body to temperature regulate better or cool off from those dynamic constrictive hot flashes. Okay. Awesome. Um, and I know I've also heard you say that for like the perimenopausal population, we tend to want a little bit more fat in our keto. And then once we're in full-blown menopause, a little bit less. Can you clarify on that? Yeah, I think that's a great point. So perimenopausal, you need fat to make hormone. And so when we're perimenopausal and the hormones are declining and we want to retain a more gentle slope decline versus a crash decline Mm -hmm. of hormones, we want to make sure that we're doing more of a fat dominant approach. Now this there's there's a caveat to that of if the individual has more than 30 pounds of weight to sure, lose, yeah, yeah. then we would probably still put them in a protein dominant approach to keto because they're going to get that fat liberation from the body fat loss. Uh, but for anyone that doesn't have 30 plus pounds to lose and is approaching keto, they're going to want to be more fat dominant. Um, and eating that blend of fat with the monounsaturated sources of our olive oil, as well as our, you know, sprouted walnuts, seeds, et cetera, because that's going to help with detox support and regulation in the colon. Um, but then as we go postmenopausal, we're really looking at that sarcopenia and muscle retention and the importance of protein, because we're not going to manufacture as much hormone at that juncture. Okay. So that's inflammation, insulin resistance, and kind of the role of keto. Let's talk a little bit about estrogen because maybe it's not the sole culprit, but it definitely plays a role. Yes. And so like we talked back in episode 360, if we are looking at hormonal interventions with bioidentical hormone, we definitely want to test, not guess. So this is where we would look at actually doing a salivary assessment of estrogen, getting the estrone, the estradiol, and the estriol. We'll often see estrone or your E1 increase when you're transitioning into menopause and the estradiol, which is the most dominant form of estrogen is going to decline. And then that estriol is the protective antagonist, if you will, of your estrogen balance. So when we are considering hormone replacement therapy, we would never want to take just a conjugated estrogen of estradiol. We always want that 80-20 blend of E3 to E2 or estriol to estradiol. But I think getting that E1 is important.
important because again, it'll be an indicator of the body shifting gears, if you will, into that menopausal state as we start to see that estrone increase. So sometimes for instance, I'll see a woman who has declining estradiol, but their estrone is not going up. And that might just be a woman where stress is depleting Mm -hmm. her sex Mm -hmm. hormone production. And so seeing that estrone increase tells me that it's more of a transitional hormone time versus just uh, hormone depletion. And in that sense, of course, we look at stress as a huge culprit because of that pregnenolone steel. Um, so managing stress levels and, and checking in on cortisol in addition to the estradiol and estrone and estriol. So that salivary panel is super key, especially uh, if you're doing our neurohormone complete plus panel, because that will look at all three types of estrogen, a four point cortisol assessment and DHEA. And often I like to start with DHEA mm-hmm. prior to even a bioidentical estrogen. And it sounds like you agree, Becky. And you know, often that, because it's made by the adrenals, DHEA can be converted to estrogen and testosterone. And both of these tend to decline with aging. So making sure we have that precursor or that steroidal building block is absolutely essential. Uh, so that's kind of where I would address on the estrogen influence of hot flash. And then I want to touch on temperature shifts, which I think is really interesting as lifestyle support. So actually both temperature shifts with hot and cold can be beneficial for hot flashes. And I know that hot sounds maybe counterintuitive uh, or maybe that you'd provoke, but actually we've seen in multiple research studies that sauna specifically can be very beneficial for menopause related symptoms. There was a study in 2011 that found the treatment with infrared heat. So specific to infrared sauna, not a steam sauna or a coal sauna, uh, infrared sauna for 20 week, 20 minutes, excuse me, twice a week, significantly decreased menopause related symptoms. And this also showed that other symptoms, including hot flashes, night sweats, sore muscles, urinary issues, and mood stability improved with the intervention of the infrared sauna. And what's interesting about the mechanism is that we're getting this heat stress, this hormesis, if you will, and this oxidative stress at low levels that actually help the body to better engage and turn on, if you will, mechanisms to offset these stressors or triggers. And the heat exposes this production of what are called heat shock proteins. And we've seen in studies that heat shock protein imbalance might be actually a big driving mechanism of hot flashes. So when we look at a study called nitric oxide heat shock protein access in menopausal hot flashes, neglected metabolic issues of chronic inflammatory diseases associated with deranged heat shock response, this study demonstrated infrared sauna as a primary intervention. And again, you'll even see in the name of that research study that we're looking at metabolic issues, which is the insulin resistance and chronic inflammatory diseases, which is again, harnessing with that super turmeric and the omega threes. Okay. So while it might sound undesirable, like while you're having an active hot flash, maybe don't go in there at the time when they tend to come, mm-hmm. um, but doing it like first thing in the morning or, yes. um, before bed, I think could be really helpful. Uh, how are you liking your sauna? Cause I know you've had it for a little yes. while now. So now finally in the fall, we've passed through the triple digits in Texas and I am loving my sunlight, uh, signature sauna. So my, I use the signature two. it's by, uh, sunlight saunas and I will, uh, link them in the show notes. You can always use 
use my name, Allie Miller RD, and you'll save, I believe it's 10% on a sunlight and sauna. Uh, they use infrared uh, in three different ways. So the far, near, and intermediary waves. And we also have an episode all about infrared sauna that we can link in the show notes. Um, I did the Signature 2 model because this one is the lowest EMF with still having that infrared activity. And now in hindsight, I probably would have done the Signature 3 I think that the signature two is a little bit tight for two people. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I sit with my back up against the sauna, my legs don't fully sit flat on the bench. I have to kind of bend my knees a little Mm -hmm. bit. And so I would have liked the opportunity of like a full probably layout. Yeah. Um, Whereas I can lay on my back and bend my knees and it's fine. Um, But I do about 20 minute sessions and I definitely have seen less inflammation in my body. So it's a pretty cool health ritual to bring in. I also note that it like helps me cut off drinking wine in the evening. I'll indulge in a sauna session instead of a glass of wine, which helps calorically and also of course, toxin wise. Uh, So it's been a really great technique and ritual to layer in to my wellness. And I always will choose heat over cold. Yeah. Uh, I think even with like some of the flashing nausea I had with pregnancy, I still would choose heat over cold. But of course, Cold plunging is somewhere that we can also see benefit for menopause, including hot flashes. So even just swimming in colder water can be very beneficial during menopause. The cold temperature is going to divert the body's focus, of course, from the hot flashes, reducing the intensity, and it can support regulation of hormones and cortisol. So both temperature variabilities would be something to explore as well. All right. I think we hit that one. Let's do this next question. What are your thoughts on the new postpartum depression prescription? Well, I think first off, you know, I think we were both really happy to see mainstream medical attention to postpartum depression. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and this constant, I think reminder that in Westernized countries, we just really don't provide enough communal support for mamas and Becky, I'm smiling talking to you because Miss Mabel just turned one. And so you're like officially out of, I guess that full, like one year of, you know, there's that fourth trimester that goes through the, the first couple months of baby, but it feels like a whole year of recalibration going on in the body. Um, And, you know, it requires a lot of support. Um, I think that there's a huge identity transition that occurs with motherhood. Of course, there's dynamic hormone changes, appetite, sleep patterns, so much going on. And the American Psychiatric Association uh, demonstrates that the constellation of symptoms, including depressed mood, loss of interest in activities, changes in sleep patterns and appetite, decreased energy, feelings of guilt or worthlessness, trouble concentrating, feeling numb or disconnected from their newborn, and even including thoughts of suicide to be all under this umbrella of what would be defined as postpartum depression. Um, And postpartum depression is said to affect one in 10 women with some reporting as high as one in seven women. And I would attribute that first off to not having enough support and having enough expectation and community to help as a village to 
allow mama that time to bed rest and to lay in and to bond versus all the things that she has to do right and overanalyze. Any things you want to share in that world, Becky, before we jump into nerdy progesterone talk? Yeah, I think the oxytocin piece is really underestimated. And and I also think that there's a stronger link with women who have birth trauma. Yes. Maybe their birth didn't go the way they expected. Um, You don't get that same surge of oxytocin, um, whether it's a traumatic birth whether it's a C-section birth. Mm -hmm. And then if there is any complication with breastfeeding, which we know breastfeeding is difficult inherently, even without, you know, complication or or latch issues, tongue tongue tie. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, And if we're not getting enough support there and we're not bonding with baby, yeah, I think that's a huge piece of the puzzle is, is the oxytocin disconnect. Yeah. I think that's really interesting because I've shared, you know, way back seven years ago when I had Stella and I had a the most natural C-section you can have where we did, you know, vaginal inoculation and all that jazz. Um, when she was put on my body, I couldn't hold her. Mm -hmm. Um, a, I was on a morphine drip. One of my arms was trapped down to the table, um, that they actually like bound down with the IVs in it. And I had such a surge of adrenaline Mm -hmm. and epinephrine from the medication and the actual survival of being cut seven layers of tissue (laughs) that my body felt like it wasn't safe to hold this newborn. And I didn't have that bonding birth experience, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Also women that are induced, right? Right. They're having that Pitocin, which is the synthetic form of oxytocin. And I'm sure that that would kind of rob them of that natural bliss oxytocin connection. So I think that's huge. Um, absolutely. And, you know, husbands can support just as much as baby. If mom's trying to find that bond, that bond of back rubs, touch, you mm-hmm. know, in those first early times when mom's trying to kind of tie herself back together, any of those connections I think are so key for yes. sure. Yep. Yep. And like you said, not having to focus on external or household duties or yes. feeding the rest of the family. I think that's huge too. I will know it was much harder this time around with, with another know, a, one, a toddler. I, yes. I looked back at, you know, a video of Noah meeting Mabel and he was still like such a, a baby, baby. Yeah. at that time. And so, yeah. you know, there's that piece too. Like it really does take a village. And I always say like, if we do it again, I would probably get a postpartum doula just to have yeah. someone like on hand to just help me. Yes, know? no doubt. Um, huge. I like that. Yeah. Um, well, when we look biochemically what's going on or hormonally what's going on, progesterone is the most remarkable fluctuating hormone. Uh, you know, we, we actually, it stands for progestation, progesterone, uh, due to its support of pregnancy. So this is the ultimate pregnancy hormone. There are metabolites, um, allopregnenolone, uh, which is a metabolite of progesterone, and its levels tend to mirror or trend with progesterone during and after pregnancy. And it's well known that postpartum progesterone levels drop, um, you know, they rise first off during pregnancy 10 times to normal levels, and then they dramatically drop following delivery, returning to pre-pregnancy levels within three days. So you're having a 10 time deficit within a three day window. Um, and this is further impacted because ovulation is what really plays a role with progesterone secretion. 
Remember, progesterone peaks at around days 19 to 21, about 10 days post-ovulation, if you will. But your primary hormones associated with breastfeeding, the prolactin and oxytocin, can actually suppress ovulation. That's that wise tale Mm -hmm. that you can't get pregnant while you're breastfeeding, which is not true. Uh, But we do know that it will suppress progesterone levels, and that can impact the mental and emotional effects of progesterone, which itself is an anxiolytic or anxiety reducer, a natural mood stabilizer. It's a vasodilator that works to balance out estrogen as a vasoconstrictor and so much more. And so we do tend to see in research that those that are more prone to postpartum depression often have more remarkable or more depressed progesterone. And this is where we could consider using bioidentical progesterone in this population early on. It is safe with breastfeeding. Um, It's just that the body naturally depresses that. Um, But again, could really help get a mama out of the woods. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then beyond progesterone, let's talk a little bit about GABA because these new drugs are actually targeting GABA receptors, right, in the brain. Yes. So researchers have discovered the role of progesterone metabolite, that allopregnenolone, in its role with the ability to bind to our GABA alpha receptor site. And GABA receptors play a big role with inhibitory pathways of our nervous system. So they kind of shut down that fight or flight emergency signaling or that big stress surge. And we've seen that when there is uh, gabernogenic signaling in the body, which we've talked in past episodes how ketosis is one way to get more gabernogenic activity, that this is a big area where we see modulation of mood and even self-perception. Uh, So they actually looked at, in 2019, a proprietary intravenous formulation of allopregnenolone, and this was the first in its class. Uh, It was called brexenolone, and this was done uh, to function as a GABA-alpha agonist, so not antagonist, but agonist, to upregulate that GABA expression, and it was administered IV for over 60 hours. So that sounds quite limiting, of course, because uh, that would take you, you'd be in more of a proactive treatment stance um, and breastfeeding would not be allowed during that time, which would likely have a big impact, as you mentioned, Becky, on that oxytocin, mm-hmm. that connection. Now, they've recently come out with, in addition to the IV, which seems kind of not more, not very widely used, um, now they've come out with oral administrative medication. And so this is the approval of Zerolinone. Uh, the brand name is Zerzuvier. Why do they make them so fun to say? <laughs> Zerzuvier. Zer, that's how I can say it, right? Z-U-R-Z-U-V-A-E. Zerzuvier. Uh, and this also is a GABA-alpha agonist. Um, this is, though, again, administered orally. Uh, the treatment course is uh, 14 days, and uh, there have been some study participants that were shown to see relief in as early as three days. Uh, interesting, though, to note um, that, again, this medication did have some effects even after the two weeks of use, so some beneficial outcomes that extended even into 45 days, but the participants using this medication did not breastfeed because this compound can pass into breast milk and uh, breastfeeding was not advised until further studied. So when I look at this drug interaction and mechanism of action, 
You know, um, we've also seen SSRIs used historically for postpartum depression, but with SSRIs, it's also recommended not to breastfeed. Um, I think immediately on, again, bioidentical progesterone as a consideration if we know that progesterone levels have tanked. And then I think of our GABACOM as really a number one tool. Um, this is going to be that bioidentical GABA that can be safe even with pregnancy. Um, definitely is a safe tool to use through breastfeeding. And our GABACOM has that bioidentical form through the natural fermentation that creates the ability of the bioidentical GABA to actually work both in our peripheral and our central nervous system. So you're going to get that GABA-alpha agonistic property or that upregulation of GABA expression. It's neuroinhibitory or mellowing out and um, should still allow safe connection with baby with breastfeeding, which would be really my number one go-to. Um, I for sure used quite a bit of Gabacom in like those early postpartum days, as well as Calm and Clear as mm-hmm. kind of my two go-tos for mood support. Because I think even if you're not resonating with postpartum depression per se, I would describe it as a time of just like serious emotional tenderness, I guess, where it's just yeah. like you're cracked the F open, like mm-hmm. your body is, you know, kind of in shambles for a minute and you have this new human and, and just all of your emotions are kind of on your sleeve, whether it's good, bad, whatever. Um, but I just remember many times being like bitey, snapping at Byron and reaching for Gabacom and that being a really, really helpful, like bedside tool during that time. Most definitely. And I mean, regardless of whether you had a medically induced birth or a home natural birth or anything in between, there's always going to be a cortisol epinephrine Mm -hmm. response, you know? So either your body is being surgically impacted and you're going to get that response or through the birth and labor process, it is a marathon of fight or flight and stress. And, you know, that GABA really to kind of like for at least that two week window Mm -hmm. post would be a really good preemptive, I agree, tool. Uh, And then yes, Calm and Clear would be fantastic because of that L-theanine, which is the amino acid that aids in alpha brainwave activity regulation. I think of uh, Calm and Clear as more of the foundational tool to support parasympathetic balance. So getting us into that regulatory mode with a blend of B vitamins, as well as nervine and adaptogenic herbs, and then some of those targeted amino acids, the L-theanine and the phosphatidylserine would be really key there. Uh, Also getting a little bit of taurine in that formula. And then the methyl complete would be another one I would go to and lean in on, especially if we know that the individual is MTHFR uh, or has folate receptor issues. Um, Our methyl complete would help with that methylation process, which can support most definitely a greater production of serotonin and other feel-good neurotransmitters. And then I would say, you know, usually I wait on testing with Labrix, the Neurohormone Complete Plus panel, until mama has weaned breastfeeding because there's just so much constant hormonal change. But if you are, you know, four plus months out postpartum and you feel like these initial foundational tools aren't doing the trick, getting some advanced labs, that's maybe what I would do before bringing in bioidentical progesterone, for instance, to just confirm that it hasn't rebounded. Um, But starting with that GABACOM, methyl complete, and calm and clear could be really good first line defense tools. Yep. Um, and then bio C plus, I would throw that into the mix, even if we haven't tested progesterone yes. levels, because we know that can aid in that progesterone rebound. Um, and I find clinically a lot of women really 
they stay pretty flatlined and they don't mm-hmm. rebound for like a good year plus, or at least until they've, they've weaned. Um, I know that's been the story with my hormones. Um, so the bio C plus at two capsules a day, um, can make a world of difference on progesterone. And then we'd layer on the bioidentical if needed in testing. Yes, definitely. Great. Okay. Let's do this next one kind of combined. So two questions in one worsening PMS and heavy periods age 37 after two babies. And then the second part is how to get relief from heavy periods and cramping in my late thirties. I'm done having babies. (laughs) Okay. So in both of these cases, uh, we're looking at heavy bleeding and PMS like symptoms. And so initially when I think of heavy bleeding, I think that the uterine lining has thickened. And interestingly enough, one would imagine that this would actually be less so with both of these individuals that have had babies versus someone finding themselves in their late thirties, having never had a baby because they won't have as much of that uterine tissue shift or recalibration that we would have with the pregnancy and delivery process. But needless to say, whenever we're seeing heavy bleeding, we're thinking of uterine lining lining build up. Um, so I think of inflammasome as the first go-to intervention. This is going to aid in breaking down some of that tissue buildup with the proteolytic enzymes. Proteolytic enzymes help to regulate tissue uh, buildup that's undesirable in the body. So they can be used uh, for fibroids, for instance. Um, But most definitely, if we're seeing heavy menstrual flow, the inflammasome would be a good tool there. And in addition to the proteolytic enzymes, which work on that tissue level to reduce that buildup, we're also getting the anti-inflammatory herb blend in that formula. So that should also help with the pain. And some of those formulas are going to help with blood thinning, which should reduce any dynamics in blood clotting or risk factor there. Um, But that's really looking at more of a tissue and a function of the menstrual output. When I think about PMS and I think about women's hormone dynamics and changes, my number one kind of unsung hero of our line here is our herbal immune formula. So we back like four years ago, did a cute little like iconograph or I guess, I don't know if it was an Instagram image and it said um, something about like saging your uterus, (laughs) resetting your uterus for help because there's such compelling literature on actually all of the herbs in our herbal immune connected to women's health and specific to PMS. So sage, actually there was a study called salvia officinalis mitigates uterus and liver damage induced by an estrogen deficiency in ovariectomized rats. Um, So this was a rat study, but it looked at sage basically helping to reduce the uterine damage um, based on sexual hormone change. And, um, you know, we know that during menopause, during perimenopause and any time of hormone deficiency or hormone change, that there are a lot of different morphological or, you know, shifts in structure as well as physiological disturbances that we can see both relative to uterine tissues and connecting that to liver. So we've connected like the colon to the uterus in the sense of detox gland of the colon and the colon reabsorbing estrogen into the body that's circulating and the estrobilome um, of the microbiome. But there's definitely most uh, apparent a liver and uterus connection as well. 
And we see, for instance, individuals that increase body weight often have issues with redox status in their liver or higher uh, oxidative stress or lower antioxidant status in the liver, as well as in the tissues of the uterus. Um, and we tend to see this in that perimenopause or menopausal as we age, as we get to that um, shift of hormone. We see that sage leaves actually can have a beneficial effect in both perimenopause and menopause disorders. They serve as an antioxidant and they could also reduce the oxidative damage in the liver and even prevent obesity as well as the damage that we see in that uterine tissue. And so in our herbal immune, we have actually dry sage leaf in there. It's a combination of sage, lemon balm, thyme, and oregano, and there's both dry and essential oil matters in this encapsulated gel cap, um, which really comes together as a synergy because there's benefits to lemon balm and oregano as well. Yes. So lemon balm, um, there was one study called the effects of lemon balm on menstrual bleeding and the system systemic manifestation of dysmenorrhea. Um, and this study demonstrated that Melissa officinalis or lemon balm decreases severity of systemic signs associated with menstruation. Um, so we'll take that, right? Most definitely. Uh, yeah. The whole mean score of the severity of symptoms was, uh, dynamically reduced and dysmenorrhea was reduced with the use of the lemon balm. And this could be sipped on in a tea as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but definitely taking that in an oral consistent, uh, gel capsule would be quite helpful. Yes. I love growing lemon balm too. That's a good one that you could, um, grow in your garden and then dry it and make a, a tea it's in the mint um, family yes. and it goes yeah, yeah. really well with mint too yeah, for totally. mint tea mm -hmm. yep. and then oregano you know we often think of this as uh, anti-parasitic uh, and as an herb that can protect our body from bacteria virus fungus that's why we include our herbal immune in our beat the bloat bundle and also in our medicine cabinet um, but again this would be thought of more in the world of hormones because Oregano also is known as a tool to help with irregular periods and early menstruation. It can help with headaches, cramps, nausea, dizziness, vomiting, and even flatulence or gas, all associated with PMS. Um, lemon balm, we didn't note, but lemon balm can reduce, um, can function as a diuretic and can reduce that fluid retention that we get towards that end of our cycle. Um, and we've seen specifically oregano to delay the onset of early menopause. So that's also, you know, again, if we're seeing heavier or more irregular cycles, this is a great way to get back into that ideal hormone balance. Um, and we've seen time and time again, ingesting oregano oil. Here's another study note, uh, women, uh, ingesting oregano oil had, uh, menstrual cycles that were easier to bear again, noting less drama during PMS times. Uh, so incorporating our herbal immune would be a really great recommendation for maybe both of these ladies with that PMS, with the influx of the heavier cycles, and um, then using those ingredients of the lemon balm, oregano, and sage in our teas, in our cooking, maybe using them as essential oils. I'm thinking of my bacteria battling chimichurri, or maybe even doing like a sage butter where you blend sage with grass-fed butter and then use that as a topping on proteins. Um, all of this could work really beautiful. Yeah. I love sage in the fall too. So I think perfect yes. timing for yes. that recommendation. Totally. Uh, and then lastly in this world, I would think of lymphatic and uh, fascia tissue support. 
so this is going to help to prevent any buildup or inflammatory impact in this area. So we could look at like a castor oil pack on our uterus and our liver. Um, the bladder and the urethra and the vagina and uterus are all attached to the pelvic walls by a system of connective tissue that's called the endopelvic fascia. And I think it's often overlooked, especially postpartum, if these women have had babies even decades back, um, that really working that endopelvic fascia is a really great way to ensure that we're not getting imbalance in that area, heaviness, um, issues with urinary function down the line when we're talking about pelvic floor and so much more. So castor oil pack can move the lymph and support detox, but then thinking of things like dance, um, rolling your hips, um, using foam rollers or fascia blasters, rebounding, shaking, yoga, all of that would be beautiful. And then I'll even link our episode on uh, adenomyosis and all about the uterus uh, for this grouping as well. And then castor oil packs, I think, would be another um, recommendation. We haven't talked about that in a little while, mm-hmm. but actually using them over the uterus throughout your cycle and certainly during times of menstruation as well. Yes. The only recommendation against castor oil pack is if you are trying to conceive to not Mm -hmm. use post ovulation. Uh, but both of these women said done with babies. (laughs) So they could use it really leading up to the menstrual cycle, which would be that time right before they're having most drama. So maybe from like days 20 to 28, uh, they might do a castor oil pack every three days, a little bit more concentrated or something like that. And I have had people use the herbal immune cyclically like that, Mm -hmm. where I've had them, uh, especially with like PMDD, uh, we can bring in that herbal immune right post ovulation and take that for like the last 14 days of our cycle or so. All right, let's do this one. I'm suddenly having 37 to 40 day cycles. Where do I start on restabilizing my hormones? Okay, so some of the things that we just noted, like definitely focusing on supple tissue in the uterus. So those castor oil packs could be great. Um, Moving that fascia would be great. Um, I'm not sure on this individual's age, Mm -hmm. but you know, longer cycles are generally caused by a lack of regular ovulation. So, uh, you know, during a healthy or quote unquote normal menstrual cycle, it's that fall of progesterone that, that brings on the bleeding that creates that signal to shed the uterine lining because there was no implanted eggs. So we don't need that progesterone to stay elevated. Um, if a follicle does not mature and ovulate, progesterone is not going to be released. Uh, and so then you don't get that post ovulation peak and the body maybe is waiting for that signal of that drop. So if you're kind of flat in the world of progesterone, then the lining of the uterus is going to continue to build in response to the estrogen release. Um, so one thing I would look at for this individual, both short cycles and long cycles would be for me an indicator of potentially low progesterone. Uh, so I would say bio C plus would be that first line of defense for this individual to get that progesterone support. Uh, I would also focus on stimulating the liver and making sure that the liver is manufacturing hormones. So maybe doing like a liver shooter with a lemon turmeric shooter would be a great thing that could help to support clearing estrogen and create a little bit more of a balance in that hormone dynamic. Um, We could consider the 10 day detox for that reason as well. 
And then I would think in the world of herbs, maca as a really great go-to that you can incorporate in smoothies. Uh, maca will tonify the pituitary gland, which will then have a role on your FSH and LH, and that will regulate the signaling of your follicular stimulating hormone and your luteal hormone, which should bring you back into a more balanced rhythm cyclically. Uh, and that maca also is going to be a good adaptogen for stress response. And that's where I would say maybe the, the driver of that off progesterone level would be at is from stress imbalance because I, I alluded to this but just to explain there's this pregnenolone steel where our body will take the master hormone pregnenolone and pull even more specifically from progesterone as a byproduct to convert cortisol instead as a fight or flight survival mode yeah so I think reflecting on like what's changed in the last couple of months is it a dynamic you know stressor that we've mm-hmm. added on did we recently start keto um, and are yeah. we maybe going a little bit too hard and we need to liberate our fat a little bit more? Maybe we're being a little too restrictive in diet um, or is it just, you know, mental, emotional stress, a change at work or um, relationship stress, whatnot. I think that can have a really big impact on cycle. So I do a little reflection um, and then bring in some of those stress supporting tools like Ali said. Yes, and if specific in the stress world, our stress support bundle would be something to consider, which has the Calm and Clear, which we talked about, the GABA Calm, which we talked about, and then Adaptogen Boost. And Adaptogen Boost, specifically the three herbs in the Adaptogen Boost, the rhodiola, ginseng, and cordyceps, um, those three in synergy have been shown to help with regulating ovulation uh, and also to support fertility, which means really in turn supporting hormone balance in the body. Uh, So that would be a really great formula to consider. And then that relax and regulate, as we talked about earlier in the show, would be another one that would help to get you back into an an ovulation mode. It it was over 70% increased ovulation with that one scoop a day. And so I'm, I'm again saying that if that cycle is so long, Mm -hmm. we're likely an anovulatory cycle. And so really troubleshooting ovulation is what you want to do to bring that cycle length back on track. Yes. All right. We're going to move on to this next question. Yes. Um, Can you talk about testosterone for women? I know like the pellets are becoming Mm -hmm. an ever increasing intervention. Yes. With or without testing. Um, (laughs) Let's just talk about, you know, women and testosterone in general, and then things we can do to support if it is low. Yes. So, you know, in women, testosterone is going to be produced a little bit in the ovaries, um, but predominantly adrenal glands. And um, this hormone does have a variety of different beneficial functions for our body. So normal testosterone levels in women will help to regulate mood They will aid in actually the health of even our female reproductive tissue and bones. They play a role with libido. Uh, When combined with estrogen, the, of course, dominant female sex hormone, testosterone will help us with growth maintenance um, and also bone mass and other behavioral and mood stabilizing effects, including energy. I think energy and sex drive are too noted as well as muscle mass um, in the world of metabolism. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, if we're worried about testosterone levels, just like with the hot flash estrogen connection, 
I would really start with checking your DHEA levels first as the best place to start because DHEA made by the adrenals is this precursor for estrogen and testosterone. And uh, DHEA can be a really good, safe approach as a building block that also has other beneficial metabolic effects. So it can help with muscle retention, it can help with stress resilience and tolerance, and even is said to work like a stem cell in the brain, aiding with anti-aging support for, for cognition. So you can run your DHEA in the blood, ordering a DHEA sulfate, um, or DHEA hyphen S as a blood panel, and that's a pretty accurate assessment. But if you're going into a deeper dive assessment on hormones, I would look at the salivary panel of our Neurohormone Complete Plus, which includes all of the sex hormones, the cortisol, and the DHEA. So you get sex hormones and adrenals in one, and that'll really help you to see if you need anything beyond that DHEA. Maybe you retest once you've brought that in and you might see testosterone go up a couple points. Um, generally, we like testosterone in the higher teens or 20s as far as the salivary panel is concerned. And I think about the idea of if you don't use it, you lose it because testosterone is also supported with our muscle mass. So using resistance training and consuming ample protein is a huge piece of the puzzle as well. So shifting your exercise to maybe be actually more weight focused. Um, if you were just doing, for instance, Pilates or yoga, and you've been told you have low T, I would start there and with DHEA. And then I would also check your vitamin D levels because vitamin D insufficiency is a huge trend with low testosterone. We need vitamin D as a pro-hormone supporter for testosterone production as well. Yes, so we'd wanna look at all of those things before we even consider pellets. Is there ever a time you recommend doing pellets? Never pellets. Yeah. Uh, and so, so pellets are going to be actually put subdermal, so mm -hmm. in the skin and the tissue, and they're not a changing dose. So right. they go until they wear out and then you start them again. Um, they're generally, I've had pellet horror stories with patients where they go super high T, super irritable, super bitey, insomnia, and like ragey. Um, and that can really throw off, of course, behavioral balance, mental health, and even metabolic health, because then they can start to see cortisol coming up as secondary of this um, irritability, bitiness of the testosterone surge. Remember, women's hormones, including testosterone, actually shift throughout our cycle. So testosterone is going to be the highest like pre-ovulation in a cycling woman, um, and that's what helps us to like get in the mood. Um, and testosterone is highest in that end of that follicular right before ovulation, and that's what gives us a little bit more pep to our step, or that's why we are best at doing more intensive exercise during that poignant part of our cycle. But testosterone is supposed to wane and dip or wax and wane and flow. Um, it's not a stagnant, consistent delivery. That's how men work. Men are an on or off switch. Women have ribbons and waves. And so to use testosterone in a pellet um, really can override and create imbalance in women's hormones and our circadian monthly rhythm, if you will. Uh, gel might be appropriate if someone has done all of the heavy lifting on the foundation, they're getting enough protein, their DHEA is optimized, and we maybe just want to help them to get 
a little bit into this ideal range, um, but we always would want to test both in the serum, the free testosterone, as well as total testosterone and sexual hormone binding globulin. All three need to be assessed in the blood. And then I also would still test salivary testosterone. And I will say, I have worked with patients in clinic that had been on bioidentical hormone in combination. And as we've worked together, as we've reduced their inflammation, as we've healed their gut, as we have brought them from stage three adrenal fatigue into just stage one and more adrenal regulation, they reduce, 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 and finally don't need that testosterone gel that they otherwise literally needed to get off the couch with. Um, and so I think that that's a testimony again to how we're this multi-systems uh, machine, if you will, versus just kind of adding in one thing and then creating imbalance. Yes, I think that's a really good point that low hormones are going to be a symptom of something yes. else and you address that something else and we want the body to ideally come back online and produce the hormones itself, right? Because we get a you know multiplicity of other yep. beneficial impacts from doing so. No doubt. Uh, we have time for one more question. Okay. I, I know that we teed up in the intro that we would talk about pregnancy in later decades. So like late thirties and even mid forties, but I think that in itself has to be an entire episode <laughs> that we dig into. Uh, so we stay tuned. Geriatric pregnancy. Oh just my kid- just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> well, that is after a 34, right? 35 and beyond. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Well, yep. Uh, anyway, I think that that's because of that and uh, sure. just so much to discuss yeah, and yeah. unpack in that. Let's hit one more question okay. and then stay tuned, guys. We will put out an episode on, we'll call it, uh, yeah, we won't. I, I was know, joking. We will gentle. not call it geriatric pregnancy. <laughs> pregnancy in your late 30s and early 40s or yeah. something like that. Sure. All right. Um, let's hit this one. It's effects of alcohol during perimenopause. Is it okay to have an occasional drink? Yes. So this is so interesting of all the times, like just like we talked about how your keto should be different perimenopause versus post, uh, actually, you know, alcohol does have an interactive role with our body's hormone system, right? So it has the potential to negatively impact the body. Um, and it actually has the ability to positively impact the body. We've seen influence, uh, in blood sugar regulation with alcohol, as well as blood sugar imbalance. We've seen roles with calcium metabolism and bone structure with alcohol that has looked unfavorable. We have seen the impact of alcohol consumption of lowering risk of stroke or heart attack. Um, but when looking specifically in perimenopausal women, it's interesting to consider the role of alcohol and estrogen levels. So generally alcohol consumption can cause estrogen levels to rise and will influence progesterone levels to drop. So in women whose estrogen levels are plummeting or having dynamic drops, alcohol in moderation, which is often that perimenopausal phase, could be an appropriate way to have a more gentle influence on estrogen decline as alcohol will actually induce like a bump or an increase in their estrogen levels. Now, I would say um, with this being said, again, we want to think about the progesterone, the unsung hero, and make sure maybe that if we are an alcohol consumer, we are leveling in that bio C plus, knowing that the alcohol can 
suppress, depress, excuse me, or bring down the progesterone. Um, and then also if we're dealing with estrogen dominance, we may want to consider the role of alcohol and how that could kick up estrogen, even if we don't fit the body fat type or other markers of seen estrogen dominance. It is important to note that women by nature have less alcohol dehydrogenase, uh, which is an enzyme that helps us to metabolize alcohol. Men have more. Um, And in perimenopausal women, this actually will reduce even more. Um, And so we do want to be mindful of supporting the detox process beyond the BioC plus for the progesterone. I think taking a detox pack anytime we're having more than one alcoholic beverage is always best practice. Uh, And then we need to be mindful of cost to benefit of alcohol adding calories, especially if the alcohol has blood sugar influence. Um, We would want to think of good, better, best options of, you know, triple distilled spirits. So like a clear spirit with maybe citrus to get you some of that vitamin C. So maybe like a ranch water, which would be like sparkling water with lime juice and tequila, uh, or doing like a vodka soda water or, um, something of the liking could be an option. And if selecting wine, be mindful that sulfates often will actually drive more flushing, uh, especially uh, those that are responsive to both histamine and sulfite. They might be seeing more hot flashes. So wine might not be the best choice, but if choosing wine, we'd want to make sure that it is at least clean, doesn't have sugar added, is uh, falling within a lower toxic profile. Uh, So that would be more of like the dry farm wines, which are actually lab tested for glyphosate. Um, These would be those that maybe you could sip through that perimenopausal and menopausal transition with ease without um, the symptoms of flashing and still maybe helping to offset some of that estrogen decline in the body. So I'll link dry farm wines and there's always that code Allie Miller RD with them where you can save on a bottle. And then let's just uh, briefly hit on some other detox support that if we choose to have the alcohol, we would be helping our body in the regulation of the, uh, I guess, impact, if you will. Sure. So you mentioned the detox packs and kind of using those, you know, bookends, um, at night and even maybe the next morning, kind of depending on how many drinks were consumed or if it's a, you know, wedding or something like that, you might take a, a, a detox pack pre-wedding and one at bed and even one the next morning to really kind of rev things up. Um, I'd also encourage doing the actual 10 day detox and having some alcohol free windows within that, right? So doing 10 days, no alcohol and using those packs as well as all of the food as medicine support that's built into our 10 day detox program at least twice a year, if not three to four times per year, just as a really good reset, um, during that transitional time. And then I think incorporating, you know, cruciferous vegetables on a regular basis, um, broccoli, broccoli sprouts, um, potentially even using the Brocco detox that we talked Mm -hmm. about from our line as a concentrated formula with the broccoli sprouts and seeds, um, doing leafy greens, ensuring adequate hydration. So beyond, you know, the sparkling water in your ranch water, we want to be drinking plenty of water, um, with some added minerals, maybe some Redmond real salt in there, um, incorporating citrus on a regular basis, lemon and lime, orange, grapefruit, whatnot, um, as well as herbs, seasonings, and spices. 
Yes, absolutely. So can be done in moderation of all the populations. Perimenopause might be the best one. <laughs> so yeah. you've made it. You've gotten your kids out of the house. <laughs> now it might be time to have a nice glass it. of wine. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, but again, all things in moderation. I hope that this episode was helpful for you. Stay tuned on an episode we'll put out specific to, like I said, pregnancy in our late 30s, early 40s. Uh, but hopefully today's episode covered a good amount of ground. Go on over to AllieMillerRD.com to check out our women's hormone bundle and to learn all about our food as medicine supplements and strategies to optimizing and balancing your hormone health. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.